please turn with me to 1 Kings 18, not 17. We're actually in 1 Kings 18 this morning. 1 Kings 18. And I want you to be looking at, the, at your Bible because uh, we always want you to uh, be a Berean who checks what you're hearing, whether at this church or on TV or on the radio or on the Internet, by the Word of God. And the only way you can do that is by having an open Bible and checking that. And so here we are in 1 Kings 18. Now, in your notes... At the top, there's the chart we've kind of been looking at. I adapted it a little bit, get us ready. We're moving from 17 into 18. All of chapter 17 covered the three and a half years of no rain in the country of Samaria. And so the theme is the Lord provides life for His faithful and loyal remnant in spite of death. All around. And so we saw God's provision. But in that process, here's what the Lord is doing. Over that whole chapter, over the three and a half years, the Lord has providentially prepared. He has providentially prepared Elijah for the big smackdown on Mount Carmel. And that's what chapters 18 and 19, so 17, set up. 18 and 19, he has been prepared. Well, let's look at it. Look in your Bibles, chapter 18, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Now it came about that after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now that's something we've seen again and again and again. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain On the face of the earth. So Elijah did what Elijah has always done so far in our study of him. Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Now in just reading those two verses, we just went from a massive transition from chapter 17 to 18. 17 is about preparation. 18 is about confrontation. 17 was about being hidden, and it began with go hide yourself at the brook sheriff, and now it's about being seen, go show yourself to Ahab. 17 was all personal. Uh, He was by himself at the brook sheriff, or he was in this home with this widow and her son, and now it's going to be public on top of Mount Carmel with all of Israel and all the false prophets of Baal surrounding surrounding him. And 17, all his ministry was outside of Israel, and now in 18 and 19, all his ministry is going to be in Israel. And in 17, the message was, it ain't going to rain no more, and it didn't. And the reason it didn't is because they chose to reject Yahweh. Well, now in 18 and 19, the message is, it's going to rain, and it will, and so you better choose to serve Yahweh. And that's what I want you to see, that this is all about spiritual warfare. It's all about spiritual warfare. This is a war of world views. It's a war of world views. And what the Lord has done is prepared him for this war of world views, this spiritual warfare. Because what 18 and 19 is about 
is a choice has to be made because everybody's got to serve somebody. Everybody's got to serve somebody. Now, anybody, does that sound familiar to anyone? Got to serve somebody? Any Bob Dylan fans here? Yes, yes, Kim, yes. I knew we had a connection right there. Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan classic hit. This was uh, his his uh, album, Slow Train Coming. It was uh, songs that he wrote after a, uh, uh, a profession of Christ. And the hit, one of the hit songs, probably the greatest song off of it, was Gotta Serve Somebody. Now, this album was released. I knew it was around this time, but I checked. It was released August 20th, 1979, the Monday after the Sunday that I settled my salvation here at uh, what was then Glenwood. Uh, I was 17 years old. I had this album. I enjoyed this album. And uh, it was intriguing. Now, 39 years old in the Lord today, or not today, but this right now, and 28 of those being spent here at LifeBridge on staff, it just made me think about this song, sitting in my bedroom, listening to Bob Dylan, talking about his uh, faith, you know. And so, got to serve somebody. Here's some lyrics from it. It's quite a long song, but it's really, it's a powerful song. I'll see if I can get into it a little bit. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And then he goes on. And it's it's quite long because... it's, it's interesting. Here, here it goes. You might be a rock and roll addict, addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's the message of chapters 18 and 19. You're going to have to serve somebody. And God, the word of the Lord, has come to the prophet of the Lord to be sent back into Samaria where apostasy reigns under the biggest sin, the winner of the biggest sinner contest, King Ahab. And he's telling them, you've got to serve somebody. Whether it be Yahweh or or the devil, as Dylan said, and the devil manifested in the false god of Baal. So let's dive into it. Look, at, look again at verse 1 of chapter 18. And I just want to make some quick comments about just these two verses. First of all, now it came about. Now, if you've been with us in this study, you know when it says now it came about, that's not luck, that's not chance, that's not fate, that is the sovereign working of the creator of the universe. It came about because God is in control. Amen? It came about. And then it says, after many days. After many days. He doesn't jump, he doesn't immediately say, after three and a half years. He says, now it came about under God's sovereign providence after many days. Why? Because we serve the Lord, not in years, not in months, but we serve Him by how? By days. One day at a time. You know how they made it through this three and a half drought? One day at a time. You say, why are you emphasizing that? Because that's been the emphasis of chapter 17, right? How did the ravens feed Elijah? One 
day at a time, morning and then evening, morning and then evening. One day. I mean, he never knows if that raven's going to come back. All he knows is God promised it, right? And he's watching the brook dry up. And then when he goes into Gentile country, he goes into Jezebel country, how, how are they provided? How is the widow providing for him? Day at a time. Every day, just enough flour, just enough oil. And so the idea here is, if we're going to serve the Lord in times of apostasy, it's going to be one day at a time. Amen? Understanding that each day, the past, the present, and the future, is under the providence of a sovereign God. And then it says, in the third year. Now, what does that mean, in the third year? Well, the word of the Lord came to him in the widow's home in the third year of being in that home. So that means he's been in the widow's home in the city of Zarephath for two, uh, over two years. It's in the third year, so he's been there over two years. That means that he was by the brook Cherith uh, a year, a little year or, or less. And combined with that, we know from the New Testament that it's been three and a half years. It's time the rain is coming after three and a half years. Now, notice it says in verse 1, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain. Go show yourself. Remember what he said in 17.1 to Ahab? He said, look, it's not going to rain unless at my word. Well, now the word of God is showing back up in Israel. Why? Because the prophet is the embodiment of God's word. Are you with me? The word of the Lord. There's been a famine in the land of no rain. Well, there's also been a famine of no word. And the word is going, and, and, and it's fascinating. He says, go show yourself to Ahab. And when you trace this word, show yourself, in the Hebrew, it's the same word for revelation and visions from God. It's, uh, it's the word translated seer, another name for a prophet. So he, God's literally telling us, go show yourself. But when you do, it's like the Lord is, you're revealing me back to this God forsaken country. But it's not God forsaken. Because I'm bringing the word back. Now, having read verses 1 and 2, you know, he says, go show yourself. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, verse 2. What would you expect to read in verse 3? Go show yourself to Ahab. So he went and showed yourself to, to Ahab. What would you expect? You would expect what? Yeah, you would expect interaction with who? with Ahab, with Ahab, and that rain would come. Well, you can find that in verse 17, but that's not what you have. All of a sudden, you get this guy named Obadiah shows up. And in fact, a lot of preachers and teachers, when they're teaching through this passage, they, they teach it that way. They say, hey, go back, show yourself to Ahab. Yeah, there's this guy Obadiah, but let's run to verse 17 and let's go to the big smackdown on Mount Carmel and let's get to the good stuff. Fire coming down from heaven, right? Killing all the prophets of Baal. But the Lord has 16 verses in here before that. And he has it for a reason. And I think this is the reason. 
because we go to the big smackdown on Mount Carmel and we see Elijah as this fiery mountain man prophet and we see God fire and we go, wow, that's really cool. Wish God still did those things. And it's not personal. It's not down where we live. Well, we're going to see from Obadiah that individuals like you and me, ordinary individuals who serve an extraordinary God in the worst of times, still got to choose who you're going to serve. And if you skip by over Obadiah, if you skipped the most powerful lesson there, that you and I got to serve somebody. Everybody's got to serve somebody. Oh, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And so we're going to learn this from this, uh, th- from this individual by the name of Obadiah. And so everybody's got to serve somebody, including Obadiah. And so that's what, who we want to look like, want to look at, Obadiah. And you could say, and that means me too. Okay, so let's, let's look at it. Look at verses uh, 3 through 9. Let's read that. Ahab, verse 3, Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household or the palace. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And the way we know that, verse 4, for it came about when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave, 50 in this cave, 50 in this cave, and provided them with bread and water. How interesting, okay? Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive. These would be the horses and mules for the army, the chariots, and not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on the way, behold, behold. Now, we know that's the indicator telling us, behold, God is sovereignly, providentially arranging things. Behold, Elijah met him. And he recognized him. And who wouldn't recognize Elijah in his outfit and in his hair? And he fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, Elijah said to Obadiah, It is I. Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. Or literally, Behold, Elijah. And he said, What sin have I committed that you're giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? So let's look at a couple things here immediately about Obadiah. First thing I want you to see the meaning of his name. Servant of the Lord. Servant of the Lord. Or servant of Yahweh. Now, do you remember what Elijah's name means? What's Elijah's name mean? The what? Yes, excellent. Let's give Dana, yeah, yeah, don't be hesitant, boldly. You know, if you're going to be wrong, be boldly wrong, okay? Uh, Yes, my God is Yahweh. And now here's Obadiah, servant of Yahweh, or Yahweh's servant. So, Yahweh is my God, 
and Yahweh's servant are meeting together. You think that's significant? I think so. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that there's over 13, at least 13, let me put it this way, at least 13 people with the name of Obadiah. It would be a popular name. You know, you have a, you have a, you have a son and you want him to be a servant of Yahweh, and so you know, name him Obadiah. But this is the prophet, not the dude that wrote the book Obadiah. What's his role? Steward. His role is steward. What is a steward? They manage a household. He was responsible for the people and the resources of the palace. Okay? And so he cared for the provisions of all the palace. Now, this would be a tough job during a physical famine, right? What's your job? To distribute resources. What happens in a famine? There are none. And so he is walking. Listen, you got to realize the famine was severe in Samaria. I mean, he is walking through a, 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 a kingdom of death. There are skeletons of animals. There are skeletons of people. People are walking around looking like the thing that we in our century would compare it to concentration camp victims. He's walking into death. And yet here's, here's Obadiah's responsibility. Now you need to provide for everybody. Okay. Okay. Great. Tough job, right? In a physical famine, but it's even a tougher job in a spiritual famine. It's a tougher job in a spiritual famine. Why do I say that? Because Obadiah greatly feared the Lord, but who is he serving under? The apostate Ahab. So can you imagine, you're not only supposed to feed people physically, but you're serving under the most wicked man, married to the most wicked woman, Jezebel, and Jezebel has obliterated and killed every prophet, or so she thinks, and Obadiah, being a good steward of not only the physical things of life, but the spiritual, has hid the word of the Lord and preserved and provided for the word of the Lord by hiding the prophets. Is that not the coolest thing? So he's got a tough job physically. He's got a tough job spiritually. He's got an even tougher job, or he especially has a tough job, uh, if you are part of the loyal remnant, the loyal remnant. And I would put forth to you, we've been focusing on Elijah, and you might come to the wrong conclusion like Elijah did, that he's the only one serving the Lord at this time. But the reality is, there's a hundred prophets that are hidden away, that are loving and serving the Lord. And here's Obadiah in the heart of evil, and he is serving the Lord. He feared the Lord, it says in verse 4. He hid the hundred prophets and he fed them with bread and water. We'll come back to that. Now, here's the tension. He's got a tension. So, he's a servant of Yahweh, but he's a steward of the apostate king. Three, the tension is he's serving two masters in the worst of times. He's serving two masters in the worst of times. And I would put forth to you, this is the theme of Obadiah's story, and this is why we don't want to skip over it. Because in days of apostasy, like what we're living in, we are servants of Yahweh. We are Obadiah. But we also go to work. We also live in this world. And so the tension is, we have two masters, don't we? We're citizens of this world. So we have... 
leaders, presidents, Congress, we got all this mess that's going on that we're under, and yet we're citizens of heaven. And so I want you to see that Obadiah is torn between two masters. That's what I want you to see. Verses 7 and 8, he's torn between two masters. And if you were careful in watching, uh, as I read, you see the tension. Look at verse 7. He sees Elijah, and what does he call him? My master. And what are the first words out of Elijah's mouth? Go tell your master. Wait a minute. My master, your master. Do you see the tension? He's torn between two masters. But notice, when he gets the command by um, Elijah, what does he do in verse 9? Does he model Elijah's obedience? No, what, no, what's he say? Are you, yeah, what, what did I do? You know, like, and, and the kid, our kids say that. You tell your kids, do so. Why? What, 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 what did I do to have to go? Why do I have to go pick up, pick up the dog poop in the backyard? You know, my brother and I used to complain about that. And, uh, and we would be fined if we missed any. Uh, so Obadiah's torn, but what we see is Obadiah's fearfulness versus Elijah's faithfulness. So there's this, there's this tension all along. When the word of the Lord has come, Elijah has been quick to hear and quick to obey. But now we encounter Obadiah, who's torn between two masters, and suddenly fearfulness is contrasted with Elijah's faithfulness. In other words, Obadiah has a choice to make. Who's he going to serve? Because everybody's got to serve somebody. Who's he going to serve? Now, this tension raises the question, is Obadiah a disloyal compromiser or a loyal follower? Now, I can't develop this like I wish I could, but when you read through the commentators, Obadiah either gets the tar beat out of him for being a compromiser or he's exalted as a loyal follower. And it is hilarious reading these commentators. I mean, this guy gets called a collaborator, a compromiser. One guy says, Ahab's boy meets God's man. I mean, it is just like, I'm like, I I just feel so bad for Obadiah. I mean, I'm going to go to heaven and say, Obadiah, I'm sorry. These guys got it wrong. And then you read other commentators and they say, he's, he's a man of great faith, you know, and, and, and he is, he is an awesome guy. Now, I wish I had time to develop the reasons why I believe that he is a loyal follower. But perhaps the I have seven reasons. I'll give you one. The narrator himself says so in verses 3 and 4. The second Obadiah is, is introduced as if anticipating these crazy commentators later in life. As soon as he's introduced, he says, I want one thing to be clear. He greatly feared the Lord and his faith bore fruit as he hid these prophets, okay? Now, I can give you six more reasons, but you'll have to leave it at that. Now, here's the idea. Here's the point. Eventually, every believer must choose to follow the Lord at any cost, especially in the worst of times. The reason the commentators get so extreme is because this is a story of extremes. Because we live in a world of extremes. Who are you going to serve? And there comes a point where every true believer must come out public and say, 
Yahweh is my God, and I am his servant. And so that's the tension. That's the tension. Now, the rest of the story is helping you and I settle the question of whom. I don't know. Is it whom or who? I don't know my my grammar. Which is it? Whom? Whom you're going to serve. Okay, I like who better, but I thought that was right. So, here's the deal. He serves Ahab. He serves Elijah. And he's going to have to sell out to one or the other. So, let's take a look at it. Obadiah serves his master, Ahab the king. He serves his master, Ahab, the king. And I just want to go over this just again in the sense of Obadiah's position in the palace. So let's think about as he serves Ahab, he has this position in the palace of being a steward. So it makes sense that when they run out of grass for the horses to keep his army, to retain his power, that he turns to his steward and say, look, we're going to divide the kingdom in half. You go one way and look for grass, and I'm going to go the other way and look for grass, because if we don't have grass, we don't have horses, and if I don't have horses, I don't have chariots, and if I don't have chariots, I don't have power. Now, he's had three and a half years of reign to think about his relationship with God. What's he thinking about? Thinking about his power, his position. Secondly, Obadiah's passion for the Lord. His passion is for the Lord. He, he, he has this great fear of God, this great passion for God, and he used it to protect and provide for the prophets. And here's where I want to tell you, the same word for provide in verse 4 is the same word that it was used of the ravens who will provide for you and the widow who will provide for you. So what do we see? The guys that think he's a bad guy? No, he's doing for a hundred prophets exactly what Yahweh was doing for Elijah. And then third, Obadiah's pursuit with Ahab for water. Verse 6 is interesting again. The evil guy goes one way, and the godly guy goes the other way. And the evil guy is wandering around in his kingdom. He's been reduced to a servant looking for grass. And the godly guy goes the other way, and God leads him right to the prophet of God who has the word of God. See, all of this is affirming. This guy is, a, this guy is godly. Oh, oh, and here's what's interesting. Stop and think about this for a moment. In obeying and fulfilling his duties to the ungodly king, it led him to the king of kings. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Obadiah obeyed Ahab as long as it didn't violate his faith. And that didn't mean that he couldn't secretly hide prophets. And by the way, it was a good thing that he was steward because the little food in the land he could get, and all it was was bread and water. You know, by the way, Elijah was fed better by the ravens than these prophets were by... Anyway, another story. My point being this. You can serve under ungodly people and be a godly man or woman. And when you do it right, God will be there and meet you. Okay, so that's serving Ahab. Verses 7 and 8, Obadiah now is going to be, his loyalty to Yahweh is going to be tested. And so, Yobadiah, Yobadiah, 
that's Yahweh and Obadiah together. Yobadiah. Obadiah serves his master Elijah the prophet. So now he's going to be tested. Verses 7, and, uh, 7 through 14. And here's what happens. Let's look at 7 and 8 again. Uh, now, as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. He recognized him and he fell on his face. He's fallen prostrate before the prophet. Again, loyalty, right? And he says, is this you, Elijah, my master? Not because he didn't recognize him, because Elijah was very recognizable. You didn't forget him once you saw him. It's that I can't believe you're alive. You haven't been seen. And Ahab, it says in the text, has searched for him in every country, in every place. And he made everybody swear that you're not hiding him or Ahab would kill you. And he's like, I can't believe it. You're back. I thought it was just me and these hundred guys in the caves. And he said to him, it is I. Now, go say to your master, behold, Elijah. So let's look at Elijah's bold commission. He has a bold commission for Obadiah to do kingdom work. He's like, okay, you're out here looking for grass. Now, think about this. Ahab, who is supposed to be thinking of his relationship with God, who's supposed to be thinking about his sins and repenting, is looking for grass instead of looking for God. I was going to say grass for his, you know, but anyway. Now... He, he, he's basically saying to him, look, you're a loyal, you're, you're Yahweh's servant. Now I've got a job for you to do. I've got kingdom work. Forget this grass stuff. Forget what this apostate has you doing. I've got kingdom work for you to do. Now you've got to remember, prophets represent God, either the remnant to God, or God to the remnant, or God to the rebels, Right? So Elijah is representing God to Obadiah, and basically this is a command from God, right? But think about this. He's saying to Obadiah, what does Obadiah's name mean? Servant of Yahweh. He's saying, Yahweh's servant, go to Ahab and say, Elijah is. Now what does Elijah mean? My God is Yahweh. Do you understand what he's doing? See, the, Obadiah has got this figured out real clear. I've been hiding these prophets. I've been a secret believer. I've been staying alive so these guys can stay alive. And now you want me to just trot right into Ahab and walk right up to him and say, Yahweh is my God. Because that's basically all he's telling him to say. Yahweh is my... Don't miss that. So he's not just saying, hey, there's this guy Elijah over here. He's saying, I want, you to, I want you to go do it. And that's why Obadiah freaks out. And so here's what I want you to see. In times of apostasy, the Lord calls his servants to do two things that he's calling Obadiah to do. Be obedient witnesses that boldly say, my God is Yahweh. Listen, in what we need now, what this world needs now, is not more tension and anger and hate and political arguing. They need Christians to just stand up without a condemning attitude and just say, my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. And I'll take, I'll take the abuse that comes with that. I'll take the pushback. I'll risk my life. Obedient witnesses that boldly say, my God is Yahweh. And then secondly, faithful witnesses 
faithful witnesses that graciously carry God's word of judgment and salvation to those who need to hear it. Elijah is saying, look, I want you. It's time now for you to go public with your faith. And it's time for you to bring a witness to Ahab. And it's it, and it can be it could be a message of judgment or that's what the gospel is. It could be judgment if you reject, and it can be salvation if you repent. But understand this: the war is going full blown, and everybody's got to choose Ahab, even you, because Elijah is here. My God, Yahweh has declared war, and there's going to be a smackdown. And those that reject the Lord are going to be slaughtered and killed with righteous wrath. Man, this is big deal stuff. So, doing those two things is easier said than done. Can we all agree? Can we identify with Obadiah's response? Number two, Obadiah's fearful excuse. His fearful excuse for not doing kingdom work. I like, you know, I liked what Jeremy over here said. What did I do? Or uh, Gene Getz uh, said, put it this way. Anything but that. You know, I'll risk my life to feed a hundred prophets. But don't ask me to go to Ahab, the apostate, with his wife Jezebel, the prophet killer, and say anything but that. And so his fear is death at the hands of Ahab. Three times in this passage, verses 9 through 14, three times he says, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Anything but that, I'm going to die. Now, think about the tension. I want you to feel the tension. A man who risked his life to hide a hundred prophets is now afraid of dying by saying, Yahweh is my God. Now, why is that? You've got to ask questions when you study the Bible. And here's what I think, based on the, what we're seeing. Here's what I think. When he's hiding the hundred prophets, who's in control? Obadiah is. When he's got to do this to Ahab, who's in control? Yahweh, Elijah, anybody but Obadiah. So here's what I want you to understand. When we live in difficult times, whether in the workplace, whether in a marriage that is unequally yoked, whether you're at school, it doesn't matter. We will take risks. If we love the Lord and we're truly born again, we'll take risks that are controlled risks. Are you with me? Controlled risk. I can control the risk. He was the steward. He could get the food. He could hide them away. He could always say, I'm out looking for more grass when he's feeding these guys. It's controlled risk. But now Elijah and God through Elijah is saying, no, I want you to risk and you're not in control. You can't control the outcome. So what does Obadiah say? His fear is, what if you don't show up? Because if I go tell Ahab after three and a half years of looking for you, hey, I found him and you're not there when he goes there, I'm dead. And Elijah in the Lord is saying, trust me, trust me. Okay, so his excuse reveals a lack of trust. Now, I don't have time to take you through all his thinking. But, you know, first of all, he's he's got a lot of stinking thinking because he thinks if I obey, God is punishing me. 
that's, that's, that is uh, misconceptions about obeying God. And then he's misdirecting his focus. He's thinking about what might happen instead of what God has promised. Okay, he's thinking about potential outcome versus personal obedience. And then he's mishandling his thinking. Because instead of concentrating on the Lord, the prophet, and the word of God, he is getting paranoid and his thoughts are running wild. And I can only imagine how Jezebel would kill people. Because I'm sure it wasn't quick and I'm sure it wasn't clean. And then he's misplacing his confidence. You know what's interesting about, about him? And it's, what you, it's kind of what Jeremy's saying. He says, look at what I've done in the past. Isn't that enough? I've already risked my life. Time for someone else to step up. Now, please listen to me. Because I've thought, in times of apostasy, when people are falling away and you're remaining true, you come to a point where you said, I have sacrificed and obeyed enough. Let someone else. But that's not what Yahweh's servants say. Yahweh's servants stand in the presence of the Lord and say, Your wish is my command. And by the way, Christian, Jesus gave it all. And we haven't begun to do that which pays Him back as a thank you. Right? We've, none of us have done enough. Let me say that again. None of us. See, you think, well, you think missionaries, wow, you know, they're the really, you know. No, you haven't done enough to say thank you for all that he has done. And so he's trying to get out of this. Now, the good news is, basically, he needs some John Wayne theology. You ever heard this quote by John Wayne, Jordan? Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. John Wayne said that. God's saying that to Obadiah. So let's look at the third point. third point is this. Obadiah settles the question of being sold out. He settles the question of being sold out. And it happens in verses 15 and 16. So this whole thing leads up to these two verses. And it's beautiful. Elijah said, after he hears all these fearful excuses, after he hears all this lack of trust, Elijah says this, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Isn't that beautiful? How how does how does Elijah overcome Obadiah's fears? Well, Elijah swears by the Lord Almighty. He swears by the Lord Almighty that he will be present as he promised. And that's enough for Obadiah. And that should be enough for us. So what's this mean? He swears by the Lord of hosts. Here's how he overcomes. He feeds Obadiah's faith. He feeds his faith. And he feeds his faith with with the promises of God. So if you're going to overcome your fear of obeying the Lord, you've got to feed your faith. He swears by God Almighty's majesty. He says, look, look, you're worried about Ahab. The dude can't even feed his chariot horses. We serve the Lord of armies, angel armies. God is going to war. He's not going to retreat. He's not going to be a no-show. He's the Lord of armies. 
So he swears by Lord God Almighty's majesty. Secondly, he says, I serve under God Almighty with great loyalty. Listen, I stand in his presence as a prophet and I stand ready to serve him. You can count on me being where he tells me to be. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't weigh whether I'm going to obey. I stand ready in his promise. And number three, he speaks with radical honesty. We talked about this from the Sermon on the Mount. He speaks with radical honesty. Basically, all he does is say this. I'm a prophet. God's speaking. You can count on me to be there. God promised his presence. God will be there. I will be there. Okay? So how does Obadiah respond? Obadiah obeys by faith. Why? Because God Almighty has promised His presence. So let me sum it up this way. When fear paralyzes your faith, when fear paralyzes your faith, fix your faith on the promises of God's powerful presence. Right? When when fear causes your obedience to falter, fix your faith on God's promises of His powerful presence. Now, I have the application there for you. You can think through this in your own life. But I just, I'll end with this, Matthew 28. Don't you think it's interesting that when Jesus, after Holy Week, after His crucifixion, after His burial was resurrected, and before he ascended, he said this, All authority on heaven and earth is mine. He said, I am all-powerful. And then he gave him the Great Commission. And what does he end the Great Commission with? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He creates what I call the Great Commission sandwich, all power, always present, go and witness. And that's exactly what Elijah said to Obadiah. He said, Obadiah, you can go to Ahab. You can witness. You can obey this command. Why? Because I will be show myself God's promises, His powerful presence. So, I, you know, we have a wide variety in this room. We've heard about what the Nisleys are going to be facing. Well, guess what? God promises His powerful presence to show up. And to provide. Amen. And some of you got trials right now that God's asking you to be obedient in. God promises his powerful presence. Fix your faith on the promises of God. But make sure they're God's promises. Some of you are into a new adventure like the Nisleys. Be obedient. God promises his presence. Some of you say, man, I wish I had some adventure. In fact, my life is so dull right now, I wish I had a little trials. Well, be careful what you pray for. But what I'm saying is, some of you, you're like, I am so into this rut of day in, day out. And I would say to you, God promises His presence in the ruts. And you just live day by day by day fixed on His powerful presence. Isn't that good stuff? That relates to all... That's really the message of... Of Easter, right? All right, let's pray. 
Father, I, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for Obadiah. He's been uh, <laughs> misrepresented and, and judged and criticized. But Lord, in the end, he chose faith over fear. He chose to risk his life because you have promised him life. And Lord, he went and did something that took tremendous courage, but it wasn't because he was a brave man. It was because he was a godly man. And so I pray for all of us, our obedience, we're tempted on a daily basis. Our Lord this week, we remember him praying, not my will, but your will be done. So I pray, Lord, that we will fix our faith on the promises of God's powerful presence. And we will be faithful and obedient witnesses, inviting people to Easter, inviting people to the extravaganza, but more importantly, inviting people to check out the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, aren't you glad we didn't skip Obadiah? This is good stuff. Now, we're going to spend Easter with Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. So you want to come Sunday for that.